I'm going to read the whole chapter to us and then we'll pray. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible says, And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll? the scroll and to loose its seals and no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it remember we talked about what the scroll most likely is um, the title deed to the earth forfeited by Adam when he transgressed in the garden and verse 4 says so I wept we talked about that word we're talking about convulsive weeping So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Somebody say amen to that. Yeah, you can even clap for that. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb... As though it had been slain, uh, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you are slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard, so remember, it's, it's both of those things together. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And check this out. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and, un- and under the earth and such as are in the sea. Isn't that fascinating? And all that are in them, I heard saying, every creature is is saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, what'd they say? They said, amen, with an exclamation point. So let's try it again. They said, and the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. And Father, we're so thankful tonight for this picture of heaven, and, and God, I, I just do believe that we either need our perspective of heaven reframed, or God, we just need you to build it from the ground up. Uh, we've just allowed, in too many ways, uh, faulty pictures to shape our perspective And it is going to be glorious. It is going to be amazing. God, it will be extraordinary as you and the Lamb are the centerpiece. And as we have the great privilege and blessing to worship you beyond all the days of our lives, God, forever and ever into all eternity. 
and you're worthy of this. Nothing in our minds and hearts could be more exciting than that. So God, I pray tonight that you would build within us um, an understanding, that you would build within us an anticipation. Father, that we would not wait to heaven to worship like this, but that we would, we would declare and proclaim and sing and praise this way now. Oh God, we are so thankful for your word tonight. Bless our short time together in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if this consumes much of your thought life, but do you spend a lot of time thinking about what creation was like before the fall? I do, I do. Especially when I'm around creatures that are just nasty. Like we were on a walk the other night, maybe it was like a month ago or something like that, and while we're walking, my wife, you know, Rachel, she, she put her arm out, and I'm like, what, what's, what's wrong, what's the problem? And there was a huge tarantula, right, right, right where we were walking. And then, you know, just uh, a couple of months before that, we were walking, and a rattlesnake crossed our path while we were, again, she put the arm out, because I'm, I'm like, just motivated. I would have stepped on the thing. And, um, and I think, you know, I think, man, those creatures are just so nasty. Or if you're in New England or the South, and you go out after, it's wintertime, right? And so, well, winter it ends, and it's springtime, and you're excited to be outside, and all of a sudden, in those areas, you're, like, getting totally attacked by mosquitoes and... Um, noceums, they have little bugs in the south called noceums. You know why they call them noceums? Because you can't see them. Or mayflies in New England, and they actually bury their head into your skin and suck your blood out. Hey, thanks for coming to church tonight. <laughs> I wasn't planning on talking like this, but it just, it's just happening, so let's just roll with it together. Um, and I remember when we moved to New England, you know, Alec was two and a half years old, little guy. He's got this t-shirt on and all of a sudden I see all these you know spots of blood on his back I'm like what the heck is that well they were mayflies and so these are times where I'm like there is no way this was the way creation was before the fall like it is not possible mosquitoes are not pre-fall creatures Um, you know I I don't think noceums or black flies were Uh, I think you know obviously serpents were, snakes were, but they were significantly different. I think the whole scene before the fall was, was a lot different than the way that we think of it. And I wonder, right, I wonder what it was like. I wonder what, I wonder what the universe will be like after it's remade by Christ. You know, I wonder, have you thought about that? Have you thought about, hey, what is, what is the universe? What, is, what are the heavens and the earth going to be like? What are creatures going to be like? You look at the book of Isaiah and there's a lot of information in there that says our relationship with other creatures is going to be significantly different. And it just, like, begs the question, you know, what, what will these times be like? Um, I think, look, I think there's sufficient evidence from Scripture to, to believe, you know, confidently that creatures pre-fall and during the new heavens and the earth, they're going to be able to speak. You know, the serpent spoke to Adam and Eve, and it wasn't a surprise to them. It, was, it, was, it seemed like a normal thing that was happening in the garden. Balaam's donkey spoke to him, and for sure he was no doubt surprised at that, although he doesn't really seem super surprised. But, you know, the evidence is there where it would appear that this is something that, that animals will be capable of doing. Even Jesus said, remember, at the Mount of Transfiguration, as the Pharisees were all, all hot and bothered about uh, the disciples saying, blessed is he who comes in the, in the name of the Lord, taking Psalm 118 and ascribing it to him. 
and they said, hey, you need, to, you need to shut your boys up, right? Shut the crew down because they shouldn't be saying this. He said, if I did that, even the rocks would cry out. Like there seems to be pretty strong evidence that our, our experience of creation is going to be significantly different. It was and it will be at some point in time. Romans 8.19 says this, For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. I'm saying to, to you as we even consider that verse that all of creation, man, you think you have an anticipation. You think that there's a hope that dwells within your heart of that glorious day where uh, the sons and daughters of God are going to be revealed in all of God's glory. You long for that, but it goes beyond just your longing. All of creation itself, according to the word of God, is longing for that day. And it's going to be an amazing day. And according to this portion of scripture, every creature in heaven and in earth and under the earth and in the sea is going to be giving praise and glory and honor to God. This is where I pause and take a rest. And, and let me just say this. I think that teachers and pastors and artists have really ruined the picture of heaven. Like I read Revelation chapter 5 and, and I think, man, that's not, that's not what I see depicted in, in art. I read Revelation chapter 5 and I think, man, that's not what I hear depicted by pastors and that's not what you read in books. Like, you read this chapter and it's like, oh man, heaven is amazing. Heaven is extraordinary. Like, it's beyond what we could ever even imagine. And it's real. It's not mythical. It's not fable. It's not fairy tale. John is reiterating things that he not only heard, but that he saw also. They were definite fact. And so, look, I want to encourage you as we wrap this chapter up. I do think that some of us just probably need to have our perspective of heaven reframed. Because, you know, and I'm not saying that this is you. Sometimes, though, it's like, you know, the world has foisted on us this, this um, less than glorious picture of heaven where we're, we're thinking there's fat little uh, angels with wings that we call cherubs flying around, little naked angels shooting arrows into people and, and little clouds, you know, where you, you, got, you got your harp or you got your heavenly instrument and you're just hanging on a cloud. And it, it all, it's quiet and peaceful and restful. There's hardly even a noise. And, and, you know, if you think like that, you think, well, that's kind of boring. That doesn't sound exciting at all. Heaven is not going to be a boring place. Heaven is not going to be, it's going to be an exciting place. This is why your church experience should be somewhat exciting as well. Right? I mean, we shouldn't come to church just to get put to sleep. We should, <laughs> and if we do, it's my fault, I know. <laughs> Sorry. But there should, be a, there should be a passion. There should be an excitement. There should be a joy. Look, I'm, I want to say to you tonight, the, the fervor that you see expressed in heaven should be a fervor that the people of God express every time they gather together. And, and not just, I don't want to just limit it to the gathering of God's people. There should be a fervent expression of love and worship to God all the time, even and especially when you are all by yourself or in your car and giving praise to God and people driving next to you think that you're all whacked out and on drugs. But you know you're not, and that's all that matters. So listen, let me just give you some evidence for this. The Bible says in verse 11, 
This is, um, we're picking up on song number four here. John says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and living creatures and the elders. Who are the elders, probably? Wow. Right, there's like four of you that know. I've said this like 60 times, all right? Most likely, it's the church. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a what? Was it a whisper? Was it a murmur? Were they, were they just saying it to themselves? No. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So this is what John sees and hears. And remember, he's just being faithful to the command of Jesus. Write down those things that you, that you see after these things. So he's just faithfully writing down the details he looks, the word look is, is there's different e tr Greek words that we translate into our English word look. This means to really behold with an intent gaze. So he sees and he hears. Uh, there are three groups of creatures that he sees. He sees angels. He sees the living creatures. We were introduced to them in Revelation chapter 4. And he sees the elders. Um, it's possible, I'm not saying like let's make a denomination over this. This is not part of our statement of faith, but it's possible that he sees these creatures uh, in concentric circles. So on the outside, possibly you have the angels. Next, you have the living creatures. And then maybe closest to the throne, you have the church of the living God. And they all together uh, are more than John can possibly number. I've said this to you a number of times as well. 10,000 is the highest number in the Greek numerical system. So John is just simply saying, hey, take the highest number you can think of, multiply it by itself, and then add a whole bunch of numbers to it. He's like, hey, y'all, I just don't have time to go, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It's just innumerable. It's packed. It's standing room only. Heaven is not going to be sparsely attended. It's not like the power of the gospel was just barely sufficient to save a few. Although there are some people, the chosen frozen, who really have uh, that perspective here on this earth and even thinking about what it's going to be like in heaven. Like they just have been good enough because of their good works to get themselves into heaven. Too bad everyone can't be like them because, of the, rest, because the rest of the people will just burn in hell. There are people who actually think like that. Thank God that you're not those people. It's packed. It's got a, an amazing vibe. Uh, and then in addition to that, as they're gathered together around the throne, they are saying with a loud voice. I just think it's important to recognize, you know, that John mentions that the, the voice that they declared with, the voice that they praised with was a loud voice. It was exuberant. Their expression of worship to God and to the Lamb was exuberant. It wasn't withheld. It wasn't mitigated. God was not getting shortchanged. They weren't distracted. They, they were present there, and I believe that we will be present there. This is speaking of us in the presence of God. Uh, they were present, and God had their full attention. Full attention. And then there was this, this expression that they were giving of worship that was not restrained. It was not held back. You know, Miriam and the worship team were leading us in that first song of worship, which is such a strong song. And, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there, and, you know, there was a time where, where we used to clap as a congregation. 
You know, not like we always clap after songs. Like you guys clap after everything, announcements, songs, like someone says hello, you're, 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 you clap. And I love that about you. Um, I love that about us. But I'm talking about on every two and four, right? On every second and fourth beat. Like you're engaged and you're clapping. And I think, man, what's, what's happened? What, what's, what's happened to that? Even on Sunday morning. Sometimes people think, well, can I? Can I do that? Can I kneel? Can I raise my hands? Can I declare with a loud voice? And the answer is, like, if you're going to do it in heaven, you might as well start here on earth, right? I mean, there are, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's right, that's right. Can I say amen, pastor, during the preaching? Yeah, you absolutely can. The four living creatures are going to wrap this time of worship. There's a liturgy here. There's a liturgy in heaven. There's an order of service, and everything is interconnected uh, to each other. It's, it's, we're not going to really focus on that tonight, but you really should just take time to consider the liturgy in heaven, started by the four living creatures, com completed by the four living creatures. But there's an exuberance. You know, we can be so expressive in so many things. And I know this is like low-hanging fruit, and it's the illustration that's always picked, but I think about sports. You know, I think about how excited we can get for our team um, or, you know, you go to a concert, and this is the band that you love, right? And you are singing every song. You are swaying with the music. You don't hold up the lighter anymore, you old people, because you've got the iPhone app that does it for you, right? And, and it's just like, you know, you are all into it. You're all engaged. And it's like, well, you know what? I think God, God deserves that and more. Yeah, that, that's true. I, hey, just think about it. Just think about it. Now, I am not boiling down worship to the exuberance of our expression because, you know, deep times of worship can come in times of silence and solitude as well. Um, and I'm not foolish enough not to understand that sometimes exuberance can also be a show. But I think, I think there's a danger because, because we can be so concerned about exuberance that really is just a show that we swing all the way to the other end of the pendulum and we restrict people in really expressing um, their love and their fervor for the Lord. And I, I think, and I think particularly in solid Bible teaching churches, sometimes you hear as well, hey, well, you know, um, we're not really feelings oriented. We're focused on learning the word of God. And I, and I say, yeah, we absolutely are. But you can't pull feeling and emotion out of your relationship with God because if you do that, you have nothing, nothing more than a sterile relationship with God. That's institutional. God himself is a feeling and emotional being, and you're created in his image. And it's okay. Maybe you just need that green light. I'm not saying that during worship you should be running around, you know, and, and I'm not saying bring necessarily your tambourine and your flag next week. All right? But, but if you like tambourines and flags, then go, knock yourself out at home. Not literally, but knock yourself out at home. Um, you know, so that exuberance, that excitement for the Lord. Leon Morris said this, referring to this group of creatures. They are simply the fervent outpouring of hearts full of adoration and love and praise for all that God has done through the Lamb. And, and I, think that that, I think that that's true. This is the declaration that's made. Uh, you'll notice in verse 12 that the word is saying, not singing. It was in verse 9, singing. They are two different words. But it's okay, there's space to be able to say this saying was in a song. 
the word that's used here is not just for uh, speaking a statement. It's also used when a song is being sung. So these were words they were saying, and most likely their saying was in a song. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. So right off the bat, remember we talked about Revelation chapter 5. Really the focal point is the worth of the lamb. Um, and his worth is tied to his sacrifice. His worth is tied to his sacrifice. The word slain literally means to be slaughtered. It means to be butchered. It's a very strong word. It was, a, it was the word um, that was used in the Septuagint when offered, with, Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, when offerings were made on the altar. When you would bring your sacrificial lamb, it would be slain, it would be slaughtered. And so that really is the imagery that's being uh, given here, that he was the one that was sacrificed. And I said this last week, that was what John said, behold the Lamb of God that is slain for the world, slain before the foundation of the earth. It was eternally in the heart of the triune Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, according to their collective divine counsel and the pleasure of their goodwill. They knew all along how they were going to restore humanity, wayward humanity, to uh, their selves. And when I say their selves, I'm not talking about a polytheistic view of the Trinity. I'm talking about three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Lamb is worthy. He, he here, and you know, throughout the rest of this chapter, obviously is being worshipped. Now when we get to the end of the chapter, uh, there the word worshipped is used. It's used earlier in Revelation chapter 5. But the Greek word for worship is proskuneo. And I'm just saying that tonight because there are different Greek words that we translate into our English word worship. And they all carry a unique meaning to them. This particular word means to kiss towards. It means to kiss towards. Um, it, is, it was used historically if you were in the presence of a dignitary, if you were in the presence, say, uh, of the king, you would approach the king with reverence and respect. You would kneel before the king. The king would extend his hand to you. You would take the hand and you would kiss the signet. And it was, uh, it was an expression of adoration and respect. Uh, and I think that that really is a, a beautiful uh, way to consider worship. You know, with respect to this particular word, what, what is collectively all, what are the creatures in heaven doing? Well, they are kissing towards. They're ex expressing not only affection and adoration, they are also expressing respect and honor. And it is interesting, you know, the word worship, that our modern word, comes from the old English word worthship. And, and when you think about it like that, what you're connecting is an expression that we make that esteems the value of something. So when you think of worship, a lot of times we kind of reduce it to our experience, what we're getting from it, um, how, what we leave with. And you know, God is gracious in times of worship to give to us. It's just the way that he is. But really the, the word is not inward focused. The word is outward focused. When you are worshiping, you're worth shipping. You're expressing something about the object of your worship. Somebody said this recently, that when you worship, you are attributing the highest value to the object of your worship. Some people worship money, and their lives are saying, hey, the, 
the, the thing that I value most in my life is money. Some people value uh, a worship experience. And so what they're saying is these sets of experiences I have set above all other things. They have the highest value in my life. As Christians, we worship the triune God. We worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when we worship God, what we're saying is that God, we are attributing the highest value. There's nothing higher. There's nothing more honorable. No one more honorable. There's nothing more worthy. We look at our lives and we're thankful for all that God has given to us, but nothing compares to the worth and the value of God. And when we gather together and we, when we sing songs to God, it is not just about social singing time. It is not just about us getting something and an experience that we've been longing for. It is us collectively gathering together and saying, God, we set you above all, all things. We set you as the one who is worthy. We acknowledge you as the one who should be honored in this place. We are saying that you have higher value than anything else in our lives and anything else in the universe. And I think that's important because you know Oftentimes, we are inward focused when it comes to worship, and, and it, you know, like I said, God is good to us, but primarily we're focused on what we can receive instead of what we can give. And in addition to that, it takes us out of this realm where, where we only worship when we feel like it. You know, sometimes that's the way it is with us. It's like, well, when my circumstances are good enough, you know, when things are falling in order, like, honestly, look at your life and evaluate. Hey, in the valley of the shadow of death, is, is he just as fully worshipped in your life as when you are on the top of the mountain? Hey, you know, God, I, just, I am so thankful, thankful for this new relationship that you brought into my life, and now I can worship you. I've been waiting for this, you know, for so long. And now that you've fulfilled this desire, well, wait, wait a minute. You've just made your worship of God contingent upon your circumstances. And the worship of God is not contingent upon your circumstances because when you're worshiping, you are expressing his worth. I think about the wise men. They proskuneoed. This is what they did when they were before uh, Christ, you know, as he was in this house a couple of, of years old. You remember they brought their gifts. They proskuneoed. They fell down before him and they worshiped him. They prostrated themselves in humility and respect and reverence and adoration. And I think, man, it is so good for us sometimes to do that very thing, just to get on our knees and to worship God and to give to him all that he deserves. Are you with me tonight? Yeah. So, worthy is the lamb who was slain, and then there are seven things that um, they affirm and ascribe. Seven things that he has, uh, three things that he has, and four things that they ascribe to him. I don't want to be complicated tonight, but there's only one definite article in the original language that precedes all of these seven things, which means that they are all connected together, and collectively they're expressing one main specific point. So the first three are three things that he possesses. He possesses all power. He possesses all riches because everything has been given to him by the Father. And he possesses all wisdom. Look, if you need 
When you're in need, where do you go? You should be going to the one who is all-powerful, who owns absolutely everything. I like the way the psalmist puts it, right? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Have you ever been, you know, instructed in your time of need by somebody to, hey, you know, bro, you just need to pray to God. Sis, you need to pray to God because he has a, the cattle on a thousand, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And it's like, I don't need a side of beef, right? I don't need a side of beef. I need some cash, right, to cover, to cover my mortgage, but obviously what it's expressing is all of the resources that exist in heaven and earth belong to him. When you have your need, you can go to the one who has everything. And, and then in addition to that, he also has all wisdom. So next time the way is clouded, next time the path is not clear, next time you're spinning in, you know, the own soup of your confusion... Next time the cloud of darkness is hanging over your head and you don't know which way to go, pray to the one and ask the one who has all wisdom. And this is what James says. If any of you lacks wisdom, what do you do? Go on the internet, right? Check out your social media feed? No, I don't think so. Talk to your unsafe friends? No, that's not what it says. You need to ask. You need to pray. And when you ask, don't ask in unbelief because you're like, you know, a ship that's tossed to and fro. Ask believing, and when you ask with a believing heart, he'll be faithful to give. So these are three things he possesses. These are uh, four things that we ascribe to him in, in expression of worship. We ascribe strength. We ascribe honor. We ascribe glory to him. And we ascribe blessing. So we're declaring in an expression of praise these four things. Collectively, there are seven things. Seven is the number of completion. There's one definite article. And so what we're saying is that he is worthy because of all of these things. Verse 13. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, so this is song number five so far, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. The next chorus that we hear is the chorus of God's creation. And you know, like God has given us an imagination for a reason. I don't know how you use your imagination but I would encourage you just spend some time meditating on this verse and imagining what that scene is going to look like. You know, every, I don't know, I don't know, you know, every single creature. You, you fill in the blank. Name some creatures tonight. Koi fish. <laughs> Raise your hand. What? Come on, you guys. A horse. A tiger. Parrot? Hey, this is, I'm sorry, what'd you say? A ferret. I thought you said a parrot. I, I, this is a psychological profile on all, all of you guys right now. What else? What else? Grizzly bear. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. A red snapper. Yeah, and then we're going to grill it and eat it afterwards. No, I'm just kidding. In the back. Yeah. A whale. I mean, think about this. Just picture this in your head. Every living creature is going to be making this proclamation, is going to be actually giving God praise. We're talking about the total restoration of the heavens and the earth. What an awesome scene this is going to be. Like, I don't know if you've had this really boring view of heaven. 
that you're just going to, is eternity really? I mean, just singing a song for all of eternity? No, it is going to be absolutely dynamic. I mean, catch a, catch a video of that. All of God's creatures giving him praise and honor and glory. Like, like, like some of you said, a whale, dolphins, horse, this is my list, elephant, giraffe, lion, sparrow, eagle. And then I put on here, even cats, right? Even cats, dogs for sure, but just because God wants you to know how good and gracious he is and merciful, even cats. <laughs> cats are angels, all right. But, but this is the picture, this is the beautiful picture of heaven. And I think it's just going to be an absolutely extraordinary experience. What are they saying? Uh, well, blessing and honor, glory and power be to him who sits on the throne. Remember, God is sitting on his throne. He's absolutely and totally in complete control of absolutely everything, and not just to the Father, but also to the Lamb forever and ever. There's that eternal aspect of our worship of God. I want you to note here that when all of creation is expressing their, their praise, that all of the praise is di directed to the Father and the Son, and none of the praise is going to be directed to us. None of the praise is going to be directed to us. So the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. So brothers and sisters, listen, why did God pick you? Well, he chose the weak things of the world. <laughs> He chose the base things of the world. He chose the things which are not. One of the Greek words that is used here, we get the Latin word ignoramus and English word ignoramus from. Um, so look, God picked us. <laughs> I know you're so deeply offended tonight. But God picked us. God chose us so that when we all stand before God, he is the only one that's going to get the glory and the honor. Next time we have an overinflated view of ourselves, we have to remember that when we're in his presence, you know, there's going to be no accolades. There's going to be no parade for us. There's going to be no, like, reiteration of history and how many hits your website got or how many followers you had on your social media account. Sometimes all of the things that we're looking for and longing for, you know, to give us a sense of value. We're, we talked about the Tower of Babel last Sunday morning. We talked about Abraham this morning. And we talked about how humanity was pining to make a great name for themselves, so they went out and did all of these things to make their own name great. And then you have this individual who's living in a total polytheistic culture, not at all seeking God, and God selects him, God chooses him, and God says to him, I'll make your name great. And it's just such a good reminder that if God is going to make your name great, let him do it. Don't, don't try to do it yourself. In an era where there is so much emphasis on self-exaltation and broadening our influence, and I don't get me wrong, we should leverage our influence for the gospel for sure, but sometimes it's so hard to sort out when we're doing it for God and when we're doing it for ourselves. It's so difficult. And, you know, oftentimes it's not until the thing falls flat on his face it's not until that thing doesn't work. It's not until there's opposition to what we're doing. It's not until someone comes up and says, hey, you know what? That message really sucked, pastor. 
Or, you know, you, you're serving in the coffee shop and someone's like, hey, this is the worst latte I've ever had in my life. You know, we started the first coffee shop here a long time ago. And I remember we took pride in, we took pride, this is exactly the problem. We took pride in the coffee that we made. And I remember distinctly making this latte and thinking, man, this woman, she's going to be so blessed. It's going to blow her mind. It's the most killer latte. And she drank it and she looked at me and she's like, wow, this is really bad. When did you learn how to make coffee? And I'm thinking, get out. Just get out. And I, I remember, like, it's in that moment that all those sayings, you know, you'll only know if you're a servant when you're treated like one. All those sayings that we learn over the course of time that really come to the surface. And then it's like, okay, how really am I going to respond? Is this whole thing about me in the first place? Is this about my platform and my opportunity and my personal advancement all under the name of God? Look, I'm just telling you, we've got jacked up hearts. And we can't even sort that out ourselves until we hit the wall, until something goes down that we don't like. And then you know what happens? It's not the circumstances or the people behind them that really are the issue. It's our own heart. And what God is revealing, and sometimes it's so ugly, you know what, we just want to project that ugliness onto other people. Well, I'm a victim. These people did this to me, and I can't believe this, and they should be doing it like this. And we, we turn into blame mode, and God's like, hey, listen, I'll handle that. Let's, let's deal with you. Let's deal with you. Let's deal with your heart. How about you take your heart and bring it to me and place it in my hands and let me do the surgery that I want to do in your life? Because I have a calling for you. And if I don't do this now, you will blow up. You will blow up down the road. I am not only blessing you in the moment, but I am preparing you for what is to come. Why do so many Christian leaders fall flat on their face? I think in some way it's because when God was seeking to do the, to do the deep work, the character work, so the character could handle the outpouring of his Holy Spirit in your life. When God was desiring to do that deep character work, there was, no, there was no joining him in that work and letting him do those things that he desired to do so the heart remains unprepared. And the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. He still will anoint. This is how it gets so confusing. You can be all messed up. You can be all spun out. And still, the Spirit of God is moving through your life. Hey, that doesn't mean that God is saying, you're okay. That is just simply God saying, my gifts and callings are irrevocable, and I will always honor the power of the gospel. Don't misconstrue that as me being okay with the spiritual condition that you're in, because I'm not. Because I'm not. Bring your heart to me. Let me do the work. There is always within us this battle between the flesh and the spirit, and you know we can be so self-centered. And I don't even know how I got on that topic. Oh yeah, this is what, the, and so the point is this, when we stand before God, it's going to be like, of course we're going to cast our crowns. Of course we're going to fall before him. Of course no flesh is going to glory in his presence. You're not going to be raising your hand saying, God, what about me? God, what about what I did for you? Do you remember that? No, that would be totally foolish. And in that moment, it's going to be like, wow, I would never do that because the fact that I'm here is just completely a work of God's grace and nothing else. There's only one that deserves to be worshipped. So let me wrap up. Then the four living creatures, what did they say? They said amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. So 
the, the final piece of this liturgy, you know, you've got, it, it all begins with the four living creatures all the way back in Revelation chapter 4. And let me just reread this to you. Before the throne, there was the sea of glass, four living creatures. They, had, they were full of eyes front and back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like a calf, the third like a man, the fourth like an eagle. They had six wings were full of eyes all around and within. And this was what they started this whole liturgy with. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. That's the beginning of the liturgy, the order of worship. And then as they say that, the church falls down and worships God, casting their crowns at his feet, proskuneoing him, singing... You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. And then, when the scroll is taken by the Lamb from the hand of the Father, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, and the Lamb, they sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll, to open his seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. And then angels and the living creatures and the church declare again, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches, wisdom and strength, honor and glory and blessing. And then collectively every single creature in the universe says, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And then the four living creatures is totally like a mic drop. It is told, they're just like, amen, right? Boom, amen. They wrap it up. It's, it's a, the, the, the closing of the liturgy. It is in the imperfect tense, which means that they not only say amen here, but they continue to say amen. But as this liturgy is wrapped up, they say, it is settled, it is sealed, so be it, let it be done. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you so much for this beautiful picture of heaven and this heavenly liturgy that we see in the order and the interconnectedness, the focus of what is ascribed to you. And there, there's a, a message, God, in this over and over and over again that there's only one who's worthy. And we mess this up. God, we mess this up. We get ourselves in that place. We can't even sort out our own motivations. And we struggle, God, we struggle. And we're grateful that you're patient with us. But tonight I pray that you would prepare us. You're not just preparing us for the outpouring of your spirit in this life. You are preparing us for this worship service in the life to come. And so, God, tonight we give you our hearts. Father, we need you to work that divine surgery. You are the skilled surgeon. You're the only one who can do it. God, we know there are things that are lurking there that will surprise even us. But, but God, not a surprise to you. Thank you that we've been redeemed. Thank you for the sacrifice that was made for us. God, I pray t tonight that, that you would help us to see the, the exuberance of this heavenly scene and, 
and even and especially in our worship opportunities that are before us every day, at home, in our quiet place, in our prayer closet, um, God, at, at work, amongst our friends, in the car, in the gathering of your people, walking down the street, God, every opportunity is an opportunity to worship. May we do it with fervor and ex exuberance, unhindered by fear or concern about what other people think, because, God, you're worthy. You're worthy. We proclaim your worth tonight. We proclaim your value. We esteem you higher than anything, God, anything. Tonight we want to just consecrate this remaining time to give you what you deserve, God, to really express to you our adoration and our respect.